Monday, people who like board games and also like listening to other people talk about board games on the internet. This is the Snakes Cast. I'm Emily. I'm Jonathan. This is Eric. Hello. Hi, Eric. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. So, what are we going to talk about this week? Themes. And abstractions. Yes, and when sometimes the theme contributes to making a game better, and sometimes worse, and sometimes indifferently. And uh, I guess what themes are for, and what abstraction does too. It's kind of a weird subject, really. guessing that um, a lot of our more casual listeners, particularly kind of folks who come into the cafe to you know, try something for the first time, having only really experienced Monopoly and Clue and stuff like that, um, you talk about theme in games, they might not quite be sure what you're referring to. So, Eric, somebody asks you, what is theme? What is theme in a game? What is that? Um, for me, I think of it as kind of the narrative superstructure of the game. So what does you that mean? Are uh, if often when I'm teaching a game at Snakes, uh, one of the first things I'll say is, you are, and I'll finish the sentence. So you teaching are, Monopoly, you are a real estate uh, br- uh, mogul. Sure. Or Forbidden Island, you are explorers on this island collecting fabulous treasures. You know, like just a way to get people directly into a layer of, of, of narrative engagement. And um, people engage with stories because well mm-hmm. we, we all know about how it's, it, how much easier it is to remember stuff if there's a story built around it mm-hmm. that can also happen teaching a game too it can be a really useful tool like if you have to explain for example chess without saying that this piece is the knight mm-hmm. and that knights are on horseback so they can jump over other pieces that makes it harder to remember mm-hmm. what that is but if you actually say it's a knight if it's got a horse head on it well horses can jump so that makes it easier to remember that this is how this piece works. Mm-hmm. And even like what that piece is, like knights are the ones on horses, like mm-hmm. hence the horse head. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and what do horses do? Horses jump. Yeah. Like a lot of room to make associations with familiar things in the real world with themes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, themes also can serve to um, sort of draw people into a game. Like sometimes a lot of modern games have very, very pretty graphics on them. Uh, about a particular place, like say Carcassonne, for example. Mm-hmm. This is a game that has these lovely green fields and pretty uh, walls surrounding these uh, these cities and, like and little rivers, little, little cloisters and stuff. Um, it's it's a very pastoral, very sort of medieval looking sort of thing. And even though you don't really feel all that much, I mean, who are you in Carcassonne, right? Yeah, like not... nobody, like literally no one. Exactly, like an urban planner. I guess, but you're, you're not. A medieval who's, who's urban got planner? followers who happen to be both knights and also thieves and farmers and monks? What? Um, but it, it, it creates a sort of a uh, an ambiance, if you will, mm. of uh, of this pastoral medieval sort of place. There are a lot of other games I think that sort of succeed theme wise, not so much because of what they do to teach you the game or immersing you in that world as just making the sort of ambiance, the sort of space that you can be in. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great a great way to think about it, right? Like Carcassonne's a good example. Um, one of the joys of Carcassonne is watching a landscape unfold. Right, because you start with just the one little tile it's out there. It's almost like a painting, mm-hmm. you yeah, know? Like of, watching yeah. somebody paint very pastoral is the word you used. It's a very good word. Just like, it's got... like. And you compare it to something farms. like Quirkle, which is also like that, but and that starts with one and gradually expands outwards. But those are abstract shapes. Those are like blue and red and purple and green squares and diamonds and circles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's not, it's, it's not as impressive as seeing this map of this landscape grow as in Carcassonne. And that's, I, I actually prefer Carcassonne to Quirkle, yeah. you know, theme-wise. It's generative, right? Like you're at the end of the game, you can look at this countryside that you've built. You know, there's a certain um, satisfaction to that as well. It's not just, ooh, I got the most points, but it's like, look at the size of this city. <laughs> you know, huge. like, that's awesome. It's you got... just have footballs, but look at mine. Mine are huge cities. <laughs> the other thing, too, that said, uh, what, what I love most in games is immersion. Mm-hmm. The sense of being able to create a miniature world that we get to mm-hmm. live in for a little while. And those games tend to be a lot more demanding, because in order to create a world... That world kind of has to have enough structure to it that it'll sort of make sense as a world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like we keep mentioning Dead of Winter, but you know, when last week we talked about Robinson Crusoe, that was absolutely an immersive sort of place. Mm-hmm. It really does make you feel like you're on a desert island. Yeah. And I like games as well, I think, that allow an openness about it. Like a lot of games with that are, say, a bit of heavy theme. Um, I keep thinking of Forbidden Island for some reason. Uh, but the mechanics of it are very, very, very structured. They're very specific. Um, whereas the larger the world you can kind of go into, um, a game like Eldritch Horror, which I really enjoy, um, like when I'm playing that, um, I play it a lot with my sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like we create kind of things that exist on the outside, you know, like continuing stories that for us go through sometimes multiple sessions of it. You know, like uh, there's two characters. Um, one is Mandy something and the other is uh, Minty something, I forget. But we decided that Mandy and Minty are like best friends and they always travel together. And whenever <laughs> they happen to be characters that are mm-hmm. involved in the session, like for us, that's an additional part of the story. Is that they're always in the same places. They will often travel together. They make decisions together. Like it opens a game like Elder Chore allows you to kind of adapt yourself and to immerse it it gives you a little bit more agency as a player to be like okay this is how we're going to make this feel more alive yeah i absolutely agree like the 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 more detailed the world you're put in just even just like mechanics wise like the more room there is for you to extrapolate as a player and like build more world to it just kind of like in your minds um not forbidden island but forbidden desert Uh, i recently played with my um my dungeons and dragons group because a few people bailed last minute so there were only like five of us and we're like all right i guess we can do literally anything else now so we played um forbidden desert and we named all our characters Hmm. and even just doing that gave you gave so much more like meat Mm. to the game and like that's not something that Forbidden Desert does I mean it's got specific characters but it's you know it's the architect and it's the explorer and blah 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 blah. but then suddenly it wasn't the explorer it was Terse Hardly you know like manly man adventurer and and I can't remember the other ones because none of them were as good as Terse Hardly but and and that was and then then it was bigger like the world was bigger and Mm. the theme was slightly different you know because we approached it from that perspective so i feel like um even something like monopoly would have more immersion to it if the players gave their real estate moguls names yeah Mm. and like backstories you know like maybe your old money and your fourth generation like millionaire and you're just and trying these to are keep the nouveau up with the riche whippersnappers yeah. Think yeah, and I made a that. million bucks on the stock market. I'm trying <laughs> to expand my like I don't know, like socks and underwear empire by buying out all these properties <laughs> and setting up, you know, shops in the Sure it beats having a little metal dog or a thimble or a race car, I suppose. 
Police think- car money. Race car mogul. <laughs> I feel like most people who are relatively new to games might be a bit puzzled by the idea of theme in the first place. Because you take a look at the most popular games out there, games like Jenga, Trivial Pursuit, Taboo, Cranium, Connect 4, uh, Checkers. Um, these are all themeless games. They don't have a story. I mean, what's the theme of Jenga? It's, it's, don't it's, break things. Like, I guess. Rebuild. Try and cross your fingers, right? I mean, if, 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 the t- if the Jenga Tower were like the name of a specific tower, like the Leaning Tower of Pisa or something, and it becomes a theme, of, does that improve the game at all? You could call it Babylon. You could. Or, or, the, t- or Babel, the, t- the Tower of Babylon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, what I'm thinking. The thing with themes like that, like themes that almost feel like they're just sort of like pasted on, is that it only really increases your enjoyment if you have an attachment to the theme outside of the yeah. game. You know? Mm. Like there are a lot of... we in, in a lot of sort of instances, like with like, you know, food and stuff, you say, oh yeah, you know, you eat with your eyes before you actually put anything in your mouth. And that's kind of true to board games too. Like you definitely sort of like judge a game on its box, which is fine, but then further on we'll like judge a game on its theme. And it will attract a lot of people and it will make you almost like want to commit harder to something that you may not necessarily have committed to before because it's this thing you really like, you know? Like if you really, really like, again, like that in the Tower of Babel, you know, if you if that's something that you studied or you read a book about recently and you're like, oh man, sweet. Or if you're a big like, fan of cosmic horror, yeah, exactly. then you'll probably be more patient with games like Elder Horror, whereas if you don't care for that genre, then it just might not work for you no matter how good the game is. Mm-hmm. And that can, I think that we've talked a lot about like the application of theme and like big games and like how that affects gameplay. But I think that can absolutely affect like, yeah, like smaller, simpler, more abstract games too, like mm-hmm. Jenga. Take Santorini, for example. Have you guys played Santorini? Nope. No, I've seen I've heard it, but great I things, played. though. Yeah. It's so pretty. It's, uh, it's, it's your standard sort of five by five chessboard looking type thing. But it's on this elevated platform that's like an island floating in the ocean. And it's got these beautiful, beautiful white towers that you build up and build up with these blue domes on top. It looks like a postcard. So on the one hand, it very much is an abstract game where you just move a piece and build a tower and you're trying to get one of your pieces up to the third floor of one of these towers. But just showing somebody the box, showing somebody the pieces, immediately makes people want to play it because it's so gorgeous. And uh, we've all seen those postcards of these beautiful Greek villages Mm -hmm. with their blue domes and their white towers and the sun. And that's a case of a game's atmosphere providing enough theme to really carry it. Because, I mean, do games really need a theme? I mean, Jenga does fine without a theme. Uh, Checkers does fine without a theme. Connect 4 doesn't need a theme. Trivial Pursuit, Taboo. All these kinds of games that, for the most part, are the only ones that somebody who is coming to a board game cafe for the first time, might that, that might be their only experience. What do you say to somebody when they ask, why do all these games have to have stories? And why do games need to have themes? Yeah, I think that like for, for some people theme is in fact totally unimportant you know like trying to explain the story behind a game to, to somebody sometimes they're like I don't care I just want to know the rules and I want to know how to move my piece around mm-hmm. but yeah I think it just it gives it's like a hook right like it's a way it's a way in it's a way to care right caring is actually I think at the heart of a lot of these things I often have trouble caring about a game if it doesn't have a plot I mean mm-hmm. I often say at the cafe to me a game without a plot often feels kind of like a movie without a plot Hmm. I mean, who's the main character of Connect Four? Why am I rooting for them? Yeah, it could be like really pretty, and the soundtrack could be super rad. But like, 
I'm not invested. My <laughs> eyes are going to glaze over halfway through. I'm not going to remember half of what happened as soon as I turn off the screen. You know? yeah. I guess the idea of immersion in a game in the first place might be so foreign to a lot of new players in particular that it might be difficult for them to grasp what it even is and what it's for. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. an excellent point. It's I mean, an excellent point. One of the first games most people ever played when they were young probably would be Let's Pretend, mm-hmm. which is nothing but theme. Shortly after that, they wind up playing Snakes and Ladders or Candyland or something. Or like X's and O's or yeah, Connect Four. absolutely. And then it's more about, I mean, if we're talking about the, the sort of the transition from, you know, playing pretend and like playing house and playing, you know, like knights and princesses and robbers and, and, and whatever, um, then it's kind of a transition from like a game without a point, like a game without an end, to a game with the end and the end is to win sure you know like there's even even when you're thinking you know like cops and robbers you know there's two sides it's very obvious very rarely do kids ever sort of concede to like (laughs) i win you lose or you win i lose it's just about what's going on in between and often the question of bang i shot you no you didn't you missed arises and can lead a lot of the particularly older more competitive kids Mm -hmm. to get to the point where it's like well this is pointless um, which, was, of course, is why we have Dungeons & Dragons, because we have dice and systems that can tell you, no, that actually missed. That's probably enough for today. Uh, join us on Wednesday when we talk specifically about times where themes work so well and the immersion is amazing and they relate to the mechanics like nobody's business. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.